Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. I wanted to uh, have Pastor Eric come up. Uh, we don't get to hear from him very often in our service, and uh, I mean, obviously, we hear from him. Our children hear from him and Miss Jenna uh, week in and week out. But he told me he was going to be with us tonight. I said, "Well, would you bring five minutes of something and not let our people hear from you?" So, uh, come on up, Eric. Let's give him a great hand tonight. Even though we're in here, we love the worship and everything. It's funny because you start kids' ministry in the first few weeks. You're like, ah, kids. And then you get into it in a while and you you sit here and you're like, man, this worship is amazing. I wonder what the kids are doing. It's just just always on my mind. And so it, it was fun to even prep a message for this, to not have to constantly be thinking of this wonderful object lesson of something either, you know, trying to explode or this video to do this. Um. So I had fun. Could you turn the mic down just a hair for me? So I, I started reading through Scripture today, and I've come to the conclusion. If you want to start turning your Bibles to Mark 11, I started coming to the conclusion that I think I found God's favorite game. It's called hide and seek. Everywhere I went in the Scripture, there was like this, this something for me. There was something for me, and every t- Scripture I went to that was different, and then you even look at the earth, and everywhere you go, you start digging in the ground, and you keep finding things. God loves this game of hide-and-seek, and so I got to Mark 11, and I finally found what he wanted me to see. So Mark 11, we're going to start at verse 22. This is a really familiar passage to this church. It says, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, whatever I, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I want to talk to you guys about two things tonight. Have faith and ask. Those are two, two key things that Christians so often put to the wayside. Have faith. As I was looking through this, I started getting a little bit more in-depth in that hide-and-seek game. And so I looked up this word that, but believes in his heart and does not doubt, and it will come to pass, it will be done for him. And a lot of that is paraphrased in there for English translation, but what it actually means is, aemi for him, which is the Greek way to say, I am. So if you don't doubt in your heart, I am for you is what he's saying. And so, if he is for me in that way, that I can tell a mountain, and Jesus spoke a lot of figurative things, but I have to think he was fairly literal in this. To say, say this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea. That's a little bit crazy, isn't it? I think he wants us to start thinking a little crazy, a little outside the box. God has designed you in a way that you're to rule, to reign, and to receive. He simply says, have faith. Oftentimes, people think it's, well, it's not God's will. No, it's your lack of faith. If whatever you're praying for lines up with prosperity, lines up with healing, lines up with the church, lines up with the kingdom principles, that thing is in God's perfect will. And so if you're not seeing it, 
Maybe it's less about God's will and more about what you're believing. My daughter, Lilia, my oldest, loves to draw. And she's getting pretty good at it. Every day we come home from school and she draws pictures. Well, this Thanksgiving we were up in Minnesota at my wife's parents' house. And she hands us this picture. And we're like, oh, this is cute. What is this? Well, there's me, there's Tilly, there's Daddy, and there's Mommy. We're like, that's great. What's that? That's the baby in Mommy's tummy. We're like, oh, okay. Whatever you say, kid. Two weeks later, we found out we were pregnant. (laughs) Because a little four-year-old girl had that childlike faith to say, I want this. And it happened. We had no clue. We weren't planning it. God was, and a little girl had the faith to say, if he says I can have it, I can. God is willing if you are able. He's waiting in anticipation for someone to just reach out and say, I want it. He's waiting for someone to be an Abraham, to call themselves father for so long that people quit making fun of him because it just got old. And yet still he waited for the promise. Have faith in God. And then learn to start speaking. you got to learn to ask. You were created in the image of Almighty God who spoke worlds into existence. Which means when he wanted something, he simply said, be. That's the same power that lives inside of you. Is that power to create with your mouth. Open your mouth. 1 John 5... Uh, 14 says, and this is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. Over and over, it keeps saying these same things. Ask, and he hears you, and if he hears you, you're going to get it. We know it says that Jesus said that ask of the Father and it will be given to you, that you would bear much fruit and in this my Father is glorified, which means when I get what I want, God gets the glory. That's a pretty good relationship there. And as I was thinking about this, I kept looking for those hide and seek moments. And it's amazing because it says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it and it will be yours. It's that same word again. Believe that you received it, and I am for you. Right there, he says, I am twice. He was I am for Moses to be the bringer out. He was I am for Joshua to be the deliverer into the promised land. He was I am for Abraham to be a father. He was I am, and if he did those things under a far less better covenant, how much more do we? And what we don't realize is we have been groomed in this mentality that we are to ask and receive our whole lives. You don't realize it, but I would guess most of you on probably a weekly, if not bi-weekly basis, experience this exact thing. You step up to a line and you say, I would like a double cheeseburger with fries and a Coke. And you know what's funny? You get a double cheeseburger, fries, and a Coke. You can even have the crazy audacity to say, I want a double quarter pounder with cheese 
add bacon, and I want the secret sauce. I'm going to get a little crazy with this one. It's out of the norm. I'm not supposed to have that on there, but you know what? It's on the menu, so it says I can have it. Have it your way is what they say. And you know what? I get it, which means we as a church, we as a people put more faith, and I'm not knocking people who work in that, the food industry. God bless them. We have more faith in someone earning minimum wage than we do in Almighty God to deliver on a promise. we got to believe what he says he's going to deliver on, even against all odds, even when you want to go crazy. The second you start talking crazy is the second he starts going, now they're thinking like their father. A small child doesn't think like their father. A teenager does. Dad, I want the car. You're experiencing that, aren't you? Dad, I want the car. Well, what are you going to do to get the car? Well, you drive the car. They're thinking like their father. You're crazy. You're not getting the car today. My four-year-old does not come up to me and say, Dad, I want the car. She goes, you're driving. And so this is a mentality that we need to start thinking bigger. We need to start putting more weight on God to be who he says he is and to do what he says he'll do. We need to have faith and we need to ask. James says, you have not because you ask not. So we just need to start speaking and we need to get a little crazy doing it. Yeah. I like it. Thank you, Pastor Eric. Well, that's a good word. Man, imagine your kids are getting that kind of learning that early of an age. Man, oh man, anything's possible, huh? That's, that's glorious. That's glorious. And I'm hungry now, so thanks. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, good word. Let's just say thank you, Lord, for that word. We receive that word now. Let it take root in our hearts. Let's get it in our mouths. Put it to action in our lives in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Okay, let's go to... We are in our continuing our series, for the record. Are you guys enjoying this as much as I am? I don't know if you're enjoying it as much as I am, but I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're really being ministered to. Um, I want to uh, talk tonight um, for a moment uh, a couple of different things. Some of this I shared with um, our small group. They had the privilege of hearing this before you did. Where's my small group? Woo, woo. Okay. Oh, you're here. All right. Okay. Um, Let's go to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, and we're, we're going to um, look at something that you uh, probably uh, are familiar with, um, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. See where we're going now? Huh? We've just entered the land of the Ten Commandments, all right? You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is commandment number three. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is commandment four. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. In other words, it, one of the 
the, the first order in remembering the Sabbath day, the first order is to work six days. All the Monday through Friday people, okay, oh yeah. This is six days you shall work. That's part of keeping the Sabbath. You have to work six days, all right? But the seventh day, for this, yeah, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant. I don't even know what that's like because I don't have those. Nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. All right? There's a lot to say about commandment number four. Uh, number five, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 13, you shall not murder. This is six. You shall not commit adultery. Seven, you shall not steal. That's eight. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And verse 17 says you shouldn't even want to do any of those things. Now, it's one thing to, oh, yeah, I can cover those nine, but to not want to? Ooh, that kind of gets all of us, doesn't it? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor your male servant, nor his male servant, female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Okay. Now, I wanted to go over this a little bit tonight, the, the Ten Commandments, because we, we hear things about the Ten Commandments and, and, and want to defend the Ten Commandments being up in our public buildings and, and, and all of those kinds of things. And uh, because, you know, we've, we've seen them, these things being taken away. But maybe, maybe I can help you tonight um, get a little, a little more clarity on, on this when it comes to the Ten Commandments. What we really need is the gospel. That's what we need. We don't need rules. We need the gospel. All right? Um, and, and the reason I'm saying that is because this law was written by God, etched in stone. He engraved it on by, with his own finger in stone, these commandments for the children of who? Israel, when they came out of Egypt. And so what these laws did was they established Israel as a nation. They separated them from the rest of the world. All right? And these laws were to apply to them as a people, for them to abide by those things, but also to show that they were a people unto God. They were his chosen people and everybody outside of that system of law was irrelevant. Was irrelevant. Because God had his whole affection, his whole eyes set on the children of Israel or the children of Abraham. And that's just how things were. So, for us, it's not even, it's not even accurate today for us as Gentiles to say we are no longer under the law. That's not even accurate. The accurate thing to say is we were never under the law. All right? It's not about no longer. Oh, no, no, we're, we're delivered from that bondage. No, that bondage was never years to have. All right? Think about how backwards the church is on this. I think about some of my upbringing, the things I, I wish I'd never known. <laughs> you know? The things that tripped me up. Because I was under this mentality that I had to perform for God. And if I wasn't performing right, right, then, then I wasn't in right relationship with God. You know, that can make a person go crazy. Well, if that's the case, then uh, and, I, if, and, and I'm in fear of hell at all times, well, shoot, I'm going to go to hell having fun. Right? If I can't be sure of heaven, 
by my performance, let's all go straight to hell, huh? But thank God. Thank God that, that this is not your reality. This is not our reality. The church is, is growing up and coming into the, the truth of the gospel. One of the things says is, shall not commit adultery. And yet Moses has two wives. How do you, how do you reconcile that? Right? He has Zipporah and then he has the Ethiopian wife. Okay. Hmm. How about you shall not kill? Go to Numbers 31 for just a moment. Numbers chapter 31. I'm going to see something pretty astounding. Numbers 31, this is long after the law has come to Israel. All right? Verse 7, and they warred against the Midianites. The Midianites and the Moabites uh, were basically the same people. They were mingled into one, one people. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they kill, killed all the males. What happened to thou shalt not kill? Right? They killed all the males. Let's keep going. Wait, who commanded this to happen? The Lord. The Lord who said, you shall not kill, said, kill all of them. Okay. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Uh, Evi, Reckham, <laughs> Reckham, <laughs> what a name, huh? I don't know if that's how you say it, but my Texas mind thinks that way. Reckham. That's what they say in the pool hall. Okay, never mind. Zer, Her, and Reba, the five kings of Midian, Balaam, and the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. Remember, Balaam was the one who the donkey spoke to him. Eventually, Israel killed that idiot. All right, verse 9. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. Now let's jump down to verse 17. And uh, that same chapter. Now, therefore... Okay, what happened was, so they bring the women, they kill all the males, they bring the women, they were like, whoa, 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 no, 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 why are they still alive? Now, therefore, kill every male among the little ones, they're talking about the little boys, and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. Whoa. The only thing that was left over then were the young girls. I mean, this is obliteration. I think we call this genocide, right? Don't. Thou shalt not kill. But see all those people? Kill all of them. So now we need to get some understanding of what this, who was this law for? The law was about the Jew not killing the Jew. Anybody outside? Sorry. Okay. Now watch. Let's go to Colossians 2 now. Watch this. This is powerful. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Can I get a thank you, Jesus? Watch this. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, this is the law, that was against us. Yeah, would you say it was against us? If, you could, if, you, if, if, Israel, if God decided to tell Israel to kill you, I would say, yeah, that's against us. And which was contrary to us. This is something that, that was never, never applied to us. It was working totally against us. Wow. Say this. I'm, I, it's not about being, I, say this. I am never was under the law. All right? So it's not that you were no longer. No, you never were under the law. Now we can maybe get a little bit of understanding 
of how gracious our God was to invite us into this salvation. Hmm? Helps us get a better appreciation of just how wonderful He is that He would include us who were not at one time included. Go to Acts chapter 15 now. Acts chapter 15. You learning something tonight? Acts chapter 15 and verse 6. This is the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council. Verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Do you remember what matter they were considering? The matter was to be considered was, are the Gentiles supposed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? So there was a lot of disputing about this. In other words, what they were saying is, uh, getting saved ain't that easy. It can't be that easy. Isn't that something? Can we still hear that in the church today? Huh? Saying Lord isn't everything. Yes, it is. Shut up. It's everything. Believing's not enough. Yes, it is, dummy. Believing is everything. All right? You've got to believe in the power of the gospel. We don't need you to save people. You ain't going to save people anyway. Right? We believe the gospel saves people. And we're going to leave it at that. Amen. Sorry, I'm calling people names, but... All right. Now the apostles came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles, which was the the house of Cornelius, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Isn't that awesome? You You see that? Hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's our invitation. All right. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them. In other words, Peter is saying, guys, listen, at one time there was a distinction, but now there's no distinction. At one time there was a wall between us and the nation of Israel, but now that wall's gone. And God put all of us on the same level playing field. He sees all of us the same way. Paul said it so strongly. He said, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female, there is no slave, there is no free. All are children of God. Awesome. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, but the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow. So, made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Look at verse 10 of Acts 15. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? In other words, why he said, why are you trying to put something on them? So, Peter is... They all understood the law was never for the Gentiles, right? It was for us, and we couldn't even bear it. Why are we trying to give it to people it was never meant for? If the people it was meant for couldn't even keep up with it, all right? But we believe that through the grace, thank you, Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. We were never, never Never under the law. Powerful. That's why we're going to this next thought, Genesis chapter 14. Can you take a little bit more? Genesis chapter 14. I want to give you the New Testament, New Covenant reason why we tithe. Just a brief, uh, now I could teach on this for a long time. You know the preacher's got the money scriptures down, right? Okay, but 
Genesis chapter 14, we're going to see that tithing was part of the law, but didn't begin in the law. Okay? It didn't begin in the law. It was long before the law ever showed up. What happened was Abraham was going to hunt down those who had kidnapped his nephew Lot. There were five kings warring against four kings, and, Ab- and Lot was taken captive with his people and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah as well as some other nations were taken captive uh, by these kings and so Abram, Abraham took it upon himself, he's Abram still here, took it upon himself to arm his 318 men that were all born in his house and to go kick booty and take names and that's exactly what they did. They beat these kings, these 318 men and they rescued Lot and all the people and all, brought all the spoils, all the goods with them. And they came down to this valley called Shava, the Valley of Kings. Now, this Valley of Kings was called the King's Valley because only kings could go there. All right? Because at one time, you know, like, uh, let's say, like uh, Cancun, that was, that was only for royalty to go to at one time. That, not just anybody could go and, and enjoy Cancun or, or, uh, or these, this, a lot of these, these islands, exotic islands, they were reserved only for royalty. The king's valley was only reserved for royalty, and yet Abraham had the right to go there. Why? Because all the kings saw him as a contemporary. So he shows up the king's valley. He's got all this, all, all the spoils here with him in people and in goods and in cattle, all right, and, and livestock. So he shows up there, and then the, something mysterious happens. A mysterious figure shows up by the name of Melchizedek. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out, look at this, bread and wine, the, the two elements of communion that we enjoy today representing the body and the blood of Jesus. And here, this, we never heard of Melchizedek before. All of a sudden, he just steps out and has bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. Verse 19, and he blessed him, he blessed Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And Blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he, that is Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. There was no law concerning a tithe, and yet Abram gave a tithe of all of that he had gotten from the war because to the victor belonged the spoils, right? So he gets all of it. It's all rightfully his. So he took 10% of what was there and gave it to the, the priest, Gave it to Melchizedek, gave him a tithe of all. Melchizedek didn't come out there and say, you know what you need to do? You need to give an offering. You need to pay your tithes, Abram. No, he came out, what did he do? He blessed him. And he helped Abram remember who he was. Blessed be Abram of God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And, if, you know, if you're Abram, you're thinking, uh, I'm the one who swung the sword. I'm the one who went to battle. What do you mean the Lord delivered my, I delivered my enemies into my hands? A lot of times if we, we can overlook the everyday things and only think that, that God's action in our lives has to be some supernatural event to recognize, that, oh, the Lord did that because that was unexpected. Oh, the Lord did that because that was outside of my, my ability. How about the fact that you can get up and go to work? Isn't that a miracle? Hmm? That God gives you the ability to do that? God gave, and he, that's what he's there to do. He's telling Abraham, hey, you belong to God. God gave you this gift of life, those hands that held onto that sword. God made those hands. 
right? So you're blessed of Him. Everything that you do, He is there helping you. He is there assisting you. So you can see every day then as your life belonging to God. Every day as a, as a, as a big, meaningful, purposeful day, right? Not just waiting for those. Now, we like the supernatural interventions, don't we? We love the miracles. We love those things. But let's not forget every day is. Okay? All right. So Abram then, in return to having this blessing pronounced over him, something in his heart said, I've got to do something about what's been said of me. I've got to respond. So he gives a tithe of all. Uh, we see later on, Jacob, the Lord pronounces... Uh, things over Jacob, which is, which is Abraham's grandson. And he says, the same blessing you told Abraham, in, uh, in you all the descendants of the earth will be blessed, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea and like the star. And, so, and, and Jacob said, if you'll do that, if you'll be with me, I will tithe to you. Made a pledge to God. Where did he learn that? We learned that from his grandpa and probably from his dad too. It's like Abraham, Abraham started this legacy. But then... Something happened with this, people responding in faith, responding to the blessing out of tithe. Then it became something that God required. When the law came, it became about do's and don'ts. And then if you didn't tithe, you were cursed. If you did tithe, Malachi 3.10 says, See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Pour out such a blessing you will not be able to have room enough to receive it. Right? But if you don't do that, you're cursed with a curse. But that was all under the law. And the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, there was 12 tribes and only one tribe were the priests and they were the Levites. They levied the tithe from the people. In other words, it was a bill. It wasn't something that they freely gave uh, out of a response to blessing. It was something they gave so that they wouldn't get cursed. That's a whole different motivation to giving. All right? Uh, hallelujah. Let's go to the next, what, what was the next uh, scripture I had up there, David? Oh, 1 Corinthians 14? 1 Corinthians 9, let's go 1 Corinthians 9. Thank you, sir. Actually, no, let's save that one. <laughs> let's go to the next one, Hebrews uh, 7. Yeah, for this Melchizedek. So now, okay, so we see that, that, that scripture in Genesis 14. We see this character of Melchizedek, and then we see one reference to him in the book of Psalms. I believe, I believe it's Psalm chapter 110. It says, you are a priest forever uh, after the order of Melchizedek or according to the order of Melchizedek. All right? and, and David is prophesying of Jesus. All right. Now we get to Hebrews, and Melchizedek shows back up. He's, he's a very mysterious uh, person. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave, everybody say gave, hey, under the law you pay, but in faith you give. Oh man, give, uh, giving is better than paying. <laughs> to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, talking about Melchizedek's name. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continual. In other words, Melchizedek was a man, but they had no records of him. That's what makes him a little bit mysterious. They didn't have any 
his beginning, his genealogy. They don't know who his father and mother were. And to the Jews, that's extremely important. And so uh, he just kind of comes out of nowhere, right? They're like, who is this? And so in that way, he's a type of Christ who has no beginning and who has no ending, all right? Verse 4, now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. I mean, Abraham was an awesome guy. He just got through whipping all these kings. He shows up, and the man of God sits up there, and he's like, i got to give something. i got to give an offering, right? As great as Abraham was, look what it says, indeed. Uh, now consider how great this man was. Verse 5, and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood gave a commandment to receive or to take tithes from the people according to the law. That is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. In other words, it's a bit of a contradiction. They didn't take the tithe. They didn't receive the tithe. Even though they came out of Abraham who gave the tithe, they did it under the context of the law. It was a whole different system. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received, that, that's Melchizedek, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. This is good. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Verse 8, here mortal men receive tithes. That's what we do here when Jeremiah stands up here and, and, and uh, talks about the offering and the blessing of God that's in it and gives these great stories and things like that. And then we, we gather the tithes, we gather the offerings. That's what this is saying. Here mortal men or those that are subject to death receive tithes, uh, uh, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. What is he talking about there? Where's there, and who is he that it is witness of that he lives? Can we take a wild guess? Here, mortal men receive tithes. That's on this earth where things are subject to death. But there, he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. The only one that's witness of that he lives is Jesus Christ, our Savior. What that means is, as we're receiving tithes, check this out. He's receiving your tithe there. He thinks it's important. He thinks it's important. He's seeing it and he's taking it personally. When you bring your gifts to him, he receives them. Oh, isn't that good? Of him that is, of, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Let me say something about when the power of bring. Because sometimes I think we can get kind of caught up in the, in in in. The, the way we give today, a lot, and I, I thank God for the convenience of electronically giving and those things, but let's not forget what's really going on here. You know, as you swipe your card, as you're typing, remember, hey, listen, think about this. As you're doing this, he's receiving you. And as you're doing this, you're giving witness to him being alive. I mean, if you're here tithing today, then you have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Otherwise, why, why would we tithe to somebody who's dead? But the very fact that you give, you believe that he's alive. And you believe that he's there seeing you and receiving from you. Oh, it's a powerful thought. Okay, watch. Even Levi, verse 9, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek, met him. Verse 11, we'll keep going. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? What he's saying is the Levitical priesthood, if it 
if it was the right priesthood, if it was the perfect priesthood, then why does there need to be some other priesthood according to this guy named Melchizedek? If that was the perfect system, why are we still talking about this other order, this other priesthood? All right, watch. For the priesthood being changed of necessity. Whoa. So then look what it says. There is also a change of the... Oh, wow. In other words, if the priesthood changed, and it did, from... Levitical, back to Melchizedek, that means the law of how things operated changed too. That's why it's ludicrous for anybody to stand up and preach tithing as a law. That Levitical priest, that priesthood has changed. That law no longer applies. We come back to the, 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 the law of faith. The law of faith according to the order of Melchizedek, who blessed Abram and Abram in faith in return of thanksgiving gave. Oh, hallelujah. Okay, let's keep, let's keep going. I'm almost through. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Verse 13, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. Say another tribe. From which no man has officiated at the altar. Watch, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. I mean, the, the Levites were not going over to the, Ju, to, to the tribe of Judah or Simeon or these other guys saying, hey, y'all want to join the priesthood? No, there was only one priesthood, all right? And it was only the Levites. Nobody else officiated at the altar. It was only the Levites, all right? Moses didn't even, didn't even see Jesus coming in this manner. He did not see a priesthood coming out of Judah, all right? And look at verse 15. And yet it is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law. Do you see that? Jesus has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, and here's where David is brought in here, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That Melchizedek's priesthood never changed. We see that it has no beginning and it has no end. The Levitical priesthood has, a, has an absolute beginning and an absolute ending. All right? For, one, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near. God. So I want to encourage you. The scripture says that the Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, as it is written, curses every one who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles in Christ. Say, that's me. That blessing of Abraham, the very same blessing that was pronounced by Melchizedek over Abraham is that very same pronouncement of blessing that's over your life. That's why we tithe, not because we have to, not because we've got to pay our tithes, not because we are trying to escape some kind of curse. We do it because God has blessed us. And we want to recognize that. We want to demonstrate that we understand that, that we get that. And so we bring, we give a tithe Understand, not only do mortal men receive tithes and we're able to do church business and those kinds of things and spread the gospel, but Jesus himself is receiving them. What an awesome thing. 
one last scripture. Now go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. I'll finish with this. Do you not know, and this is Paul speaking, and he says, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Verse 14, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So one thing that, that is true that did continue from the Levitical priesthood is that the preacher still gets his living from the tithe. That's what he's saying. He's not saying that we pay tithes like, like they did. He said, but one thing that has continued, just like those priests lived off the offerings and the tithes that came into the house of God, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should also live of the gospel. So there's pl- all I'm saying, I'm bringing that up because I hear people tell me, there's no, there's no such thing as tithing in the New Testament. Really? When's the last time you read your Bible? Yeah, it's there. You just don't want to see it. Right? It's there. We're not required. If you don't want to give, don't do it. Nobody's twisting your arm. But don't try to justify it with Scripture. It's because you're greedy. I mean, let's just be honest. Amen. Hallelujah. Does this help you tonight? Amen. So we're free. See, we're not bound to tithe. We're free to tithe. We're free to. We're blessed to do it. Amen. And, and let me just remind what tithe, it's such a churchy word, right? It just means 10%. Tithe means a tenth. Well, I tithe 30%. No, you don't. It's, no, it's impossible to tithe 30%. A tithe is a tenth. Now, if you give 30%, that's great. I highly recommend it. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the truth is, you, you can't outgive God. You really can't. He will owe no man anything. That's why, that's why it's such a challenge and it's such an adventure at the same time. It really is to, to really, I want to challenge you, really try to outgive him. See if he doesn't watch over his word to perform it. See if he... See if he doesn't do it. See if he doesn't take you to a higher place. See if he doesn't increase you more in how you give. Because Paul said he who sows sparingly, that's how he's going to reap. He who sows bountifully, that's how he's going to reap. It's almost like he's challenging us, right? God loves a cheerful giver. Don't do it out of a grudging obligation. Do it because you love to do it. Amen. And I found, Heather and I have found the most, some of the most, the greatest times in our life of supply have come when measured by the sacrifice of the giving that we gave. Right? I mean, because sometimes it get, we gave and it was scary to give. Not because it was like, yeah, okay, this is, yeah, this is what I do. Hey, sometimes you need to break out of that routine and increase. Kind of scare yourself a little bit in your giving. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for your enthusiasm on that. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Give something of, give something, give to where you are needing God to show himself in return. Hmm? And watch. I promise you, he won't let you down. He won't. I think he'll say, man, I've been waiting for you to do this. Boy, do I have something to get to you. Do I have things to show you? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for my family tonight. Thank you, Lord, for all of these that are here under the sound of my voice. Lord, even those listening by podcast, thank you for your blessing upon them. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. And as we walk through 
your scriptures, Lord, that we, when our eyes fall on the truth and we begin to understand the truth, that's the truth that makes us free, Lord. Free from, from man-made tradition, free from self-righteousness, free from religion, Lord, free from, uh, from, from myths, common myths from the Bible, Lord, and just set free into truth. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you, God, that it's alive right now. It's alive, and, and we need it. Jesus said we don't live by bread alone. We, we, we need the word of God. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Lord, we, we thank you for your word, that it nourishes us. It brings life. It strengthens us, God. It increases us. It helps us. It renews us. It corrects us, Lord. It brings us peace. Thank you, Father God. In your word is life to those who find it and health to all of their flesh. And I pray, Lord, right now, if there's anyone in this room tonight that's suffering physically in any way, God, whatever level of pain or sickness it might be, I just declare right now your word being established in their body right now, removing and driving from them every form of sickness and infirmity and disease and pain. In Jesus' name, our Savior paid too high a price for us to walk around this world suffering in sickness because He bore our sickness. Surely He bore our sickness. Surely He bore our disease. Surely He carried our pains. And by His stripes we are healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you now. As your people go from here tonight, Lord, I thank you that when they lay their head on their pillow tonight, that they will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety. I declare that all of their children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.